You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor. Not a therapist. Not an expert. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Worst. Hello, okay, let's go Another episode of Self-Worst Hi, I'm Brad Pearson I'm the host of the show You probably know that But maybe you don't. Maybe this is your first time. If it is, welcome. Thank you for listening. I'm glad to have you. Hope you stick around. How we doing, everybody? We're almost halfway through January. God, this month is long. This month is like a year long, man. Enough. Let's get to the next crappy month. Right? Are we all feeling a little crazy? I think I'm... I think I'm losing it a little bit I'm mostly keeping it together but you know what fuck it let's all just let's go crazy as Prince said we'll all do it together as a community as a family because I feel like we're all kind of collectively losing our shit right now anyway so we might as well just like make a thing out of it it'll be fun we'll we'll get matching tattoos we'll maybe kind of start a cult We'll all start wearing uh, tunics or saris or some sort of garb. Um, we'll, you know, grow vegetables and just really go nuts. Start poisoning people. Build a killdozer. Just really fucking get weird. I feel like cults are going to make a big comeback soon. Am I the only one? Like... It just seems... I mean, QAnon was kind of culty. But not quite enough that it's like, oh, that they have like a compound and shit. I feel like it's coming, though. I feel like we're going to enter like a new age of like in like the 70s when there was just cults left and right. That's about like the level of like insanity that we're at. There's going to be cults all over the place. I don't think I could join one. I don't think I'm not really a joiner. Even things like I'm like really enthusiastic about. I'm like, as if I'm doing something I really like, I'll now and again, the thought will pa- cross my mind. Like this is kind of stupid, right? Like I just don't think I have the. I don't think I have the 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 the, the bright-eyed optimism to join a cult. You have to be kind of optimistic to join a cult. 
that's the thing. You have to like believe in something. And I'm simply <laughs> too fucking cynical. Oops. I can maybe lead a cult. I don't know. That'd be fun. I get to like fuck everybody or whatever. And it never goes well though. It always ends bad. You gotta flee the country, go to India, make sure they don't extradite you. Or you gotta like convince everybody to kill themselves. It just doesn't, it end, doesn't end well. End up in jail with the Nexium guy. Not good. Not worth it, honestly. I'll just I'll just do my best to to charm as many people uh, as I can on my own, and you know, I don't know, and maybe maybe fuck some people's wives. I don't know. I just don't think I have the ambition to be a cult leader. Honestly, I barely have the ambition to be a podcaster, <laughs> which is the saddest thing. I've ever said. Well, let's introduce our guest, shall we? It's my friend, Gavin Mevius. He uh, is an editor and a podcaster uh, here in New York. And uh, we had a good talk. I hadn't talked to him for a while. Um, so it was good to kind of catch up and uh, get to know him a little better. That's what this is all about. That's about all I got, honestly. I, I, I let's go to the show now because I don't really, I don't got much else to add to the beginning. We're all kind of in this. We know what's going on, right? It's, it's January. It's cold. World sucks. We're, we've been forsaken by the powers that be. We can sort of silently detect society, civilization crumbling around us, and we're all just kind of like, eh, I don't know, I guess. Uh, there's a new season of Search Party. Guess we'll do that. Uh, fuck. Can't go to comedy shows right now because they're all canceled because everybody has COVID. Uh, guess we're in a weird holding pattern now. Hope you're holding the pattern. Whatever it is. Try and stay positive. Ugh. I don't know. Work out. Lift weights. Sweat every day. Do something hard that you don't want to fucking do every day. It's good for you. Builds character. Do it. That's all I got. That's the only that's the only thing I have to say. Anyway. Alright. Enough of this shit. Let's go to the interview with my special guest. Gavin Mevis. What was your, um, you know, since we're starting, uh, give us a little bit of your uh, origin story and, uh, you know, where, where you come from and uh, all of that stuff. Um, well, I was bit by a radioactive spider. Sure. And, <laughs> but all it did was give me cancer. Um, I am from a small mountain town in upstate New York, uh, foothills, foothills, not really mountainous, but you know, the base of them. Sure. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize 
uh, upstate New York is very much like um, the South. Yeah, <laughs> it's very much not the New York that people think. So it's not like the city. It's not super liberal, and yeah. So I I, I just come from a, a village. It's not even a town. It's a village, and you know, isn't it crazy the, that there's still places like called villages, like officially oh, it's a place like you go by a, a, a green one of those green signs on the interstate. Yeah. It says now entering village of New. You like expect like huts. Or like TPs or something, and you're like, no, a, it's just like there's just a uh, you know a, an Arby's. <laughs> I had a friend in college who lived. Uh, I I went to school six hours away, but he lived an hour away from where I was raised, and so I would drive him home on college breaks. And one year he left his book bag in my car, so he had to come up to after me dropping him off he had to come up to get his book bag and the first thing he said was like oh you don't live on a farm because that's just the impression that right. a i gave off and b just the area itself gives off but it, it's kind of like a suburby you know it's a like it's, yeah it, yeah it's just people walk around in tunics and shit and like yeah chickens and... exactly lots of things on fire animals everywhere you know yeah. it's the we live in fear of dragons mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's not it's not crazy exciting where I'm from or anything. Right. It's one of those places that you uh you grow up and you you want to leave. Well, I I I wanted to leave. I have friends that are still there. A couple friends who are still there and that's not their journey, but that was certainly my journey of was well, getting when out. When was of your that when place. was your first impression of just like, yeah, I got to get the fuck out of here. This place sucks. Oh, it I mean that had to have started as early as like junior high. Mm-hmm. I hate, I hated junior. I'm one of those people that had like a fine grade school experience, a horrible junior high experience. Yeah. And then like an okay senior high experience. So like it, it like rebounded and it wasn't terrible senior yeah. high. It wasn't great, but it's still nothing was as bad as junior high. That's I think that's I think probably the most typical uh uh arc, the most typical <laughs> sort of trajectory is because I mean like in, if you're unless you're having like a real fucked up childhood like yeah. grade school is usually like pretty wholesome and okay and like you know like unless you're like unless something real bad's happening yeah. Generally, my father was a serial killer. No, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, if like there's like serious abuse or like a real bad yeah. home life or like something fucked up happening at school, like usually grade school, like one through five, you're like, yeah, it's it's fine. You know, we like we play Mega Man and we all just like sort of hang out and we, you know, like we we drink uh, Kool Aid bursts and we. <laughs> You know, it's we, like we, you were there. We trade Spider-Man cards and everything's pretty chill. Then it all gets weird in around sixth yeah. grade and things all get like fucked up. And then like you eventually kind of, if you're, if you do have a hard time through middle school, you eventually find some traction and find some people who are somewhat sympathetic to you or yeah. like you in some way. You find some sort of niche, you find some sort of click. And you find you begin to find like a way to make, you know, your particular weirdness acceptable. But like for a minute there, it's it, it's not great. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> and and it is and it's not easy to because it is all about seeking out. And I'm sure, you know, it, it's a very common thing, but it is all about finding the people that you get along with seeking out mm-hmm. those people. And I'll be honest, um, it, it's funny. I've never really talked about that. But like I had 
friends that I thought were really good friends who then it took me till I got to college to realize like, oh no, those were, those were bad people. And I was letting them like, I was, I was letting them treat me like shit because I was like, well, these are the friends I have. So like, and so there, there are people that I like consciously don't talk to uh, and haven't spoken to in years. And the funny thing is, is I have friends that are still friends with them who anytime that I go upstate, you know, it's been, I've lived in New York city for 14 years almost. And, uh, and before that I was in college for four years far away from, so the, it's almost two decades. And I, yeah. I still have friends that when I go home that are like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to go hang out with this other person? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like right. they, I had an awful friendship with them. And I don't understand why you don't understand that that's, I'm, I don't need that toxicity. Right. Their friendship, our friendship was just them bullying me. That's what I thought yeah. friendship was for a while. Were you like, that was your role in like your, your social clique. You were like the punching bag. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that I, fully my role, but it's certainly one of those things where like, I look back on it and I'm like, you know, I was, I was friends with a lot of creative kids and, and I, you know, I was big into the drama club because, you know, that's sure. just who I am. But also I was, uh, you know, a lot of my friends were really into filmmaking and, and as much filmmaking as you can do as a teen, but like they had cameras and that, you know, they were getting into lighting setups and everything. And it was one of those things where like, I always just felt like <laughs> I was constantly fighting to like, try and get them to recognize like, Oh, Hey, I have ideas or like, Hey, you know, I, I can do this thing for you. And it was always just like, yeah, 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 kid. Like, don't. And it's funny because they were the same age as me, but it, it constantly felt like I was just like, well, why am, why am I even here? If like, nobody cares about this, the stuff that I'm trying to, the input that I'm trying to give. And then oftentimes it would be, it, it felt mean. It felt purposely exclusionary. And it's just like, okay, well then we're not really friends. You know, we're not, like, that's, that's how it works. Are you trying to imply that there's toxic egos on film sets? Yeah, yeah, I know. Shocking. That's... Especially when uh, a vast majority of those people that are into it are men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. So, you got out, though. Um, congratulations. Uh, well, thank what, you. What have you. What have you been doing? I know you work as an editor. Um and tell tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I'm a, I'm currently a freelance editor. Uh, I do I work primarily in like commercials. I've done some TV and web videos because um, that's where it's at, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I um, was my first job. I went to school for filmmaking for digital film and television, and at a really small SUNY school in. Up, still in upstate, but as far away as you could get from Southland Falls as possible, uh, called SUNY Fredonia. And I got out of that, you know, I got my degree and I moved home, which was the worst mistake. And I, I genuinely, whenever mm. anybody <clears throat> says, you know, like, what am I going to do after college? And I'm like, I don't know, but just don't move home. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 a huge bummer. But that's the thing is we're both millennials and I think we both... Uh... About half, if not three quarters of the millennials I know 
um, our mutual friend Caitlin included, had a stint back home yeah. after graduation. It's just, it's the great adventure of our generation because we all graduated right in the middle of a fucking recession, you know? Right. And like, there wasn't any work to be had and like, everything was just like completely topsy-turvy. And I don't know, like, there's something about, I feel like so many more fucked up things have happened since that it's sort of been left in the dust just how like crazy that time was to be a young person and to be out in the world and trying to make your first connections and you, yeah. there's just nothing happening and people are losing their jobs left and right. And I don't know how it was for you or for anybody else for that matter, but from the school I came from, I did not come out with any connections. I didn't come out with a support system, you know, something that I thought would be provided by the institution that I was giving money to and then would spend the next, you know, 15 years or so giving money to uh luckily finally done with that which by the way like you know just fucking forgive student loans like yeah. but and i i'm one of those people that mm. has paid off my student loans and i still think i'm not you know i the thought process of like well i had to pay off my student loans so other people should have to no nobody should have to yeah do that. no it's insane it's, i, I it's can't insane. believe the the i don't know what it is is it sadism is it some it sort of be. weird like I had to suffer, so everybody else has to suffer. Yes. And that and that's all that's all I could think of when I when I see people say things like that. It's like, no, but wouldn't you rather they have it better? Like wouldn't it, wouldn't you rather every like, you know, a rising tide yeah. lifts all ships? Like Like, no, we had lead paint in my house when I was growing up and I grew up all <laughs> fucked up. So like everybody has to like let's not stop lead paint. Let's not let's not improve material conditions for anybody ever. Like what the fuck yeah. are you doing? It's such a bonkers idea, but uh, but yeah, when I when I left Fredonia, um, which is not to say I had a terrible experience, I actually had a great experience. I had some really great teachers there. Um, my favorite teacher, unfortunately, has since passed away, uh, Kay McDonough. But her education that she provided to me w was completely invaluable, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't be half maybe the person I am without this teacher. And so I mad respect to anybody out there who's who's willing to teach a craft or teach anything, uh, but. That being said, I, when I left college, I did not feel like I had any sort of net to, you know, any network to reach out to or anything to fall back on. So I went home um, and my first job was at a local news station in Albany. And I was a studio tech. Uh, for those who don't know what a studio tech is, they do any job that the, the station manager needs them to do at the time. So I was uh, on set cameraman. I was an audio person. I ran the teleprompter. I did graphics. I was training to be a cameraman, but also on my own time, I was coming in and learning to write for the news. Uh, I would write teases. I would write stories. And this was all overnights. This was the worst shift you can think of. I would come in at midnight and I'd be there until about 10 a.m., the next morning because it was a three-hour morning show I was hired for. It was a new morning show they were launching. Mm -hmm. But because I took the initiative to to come in and learn how to write, because that's the creative field is what I've always been more interested in than a lot of the technical stuff, I the 5 a.m. show lost its producer. Well, technically the 5 p.m. show lost its producer and they took the 5 a.m. producer and gave her the 5 p.m. and then they were out of a producer. And my EP, who I'd been working with, was like, hey, this kid's been coming in. He's trying to learn. 
why don't you give them a shot? And so they they gave me like a two week temporary basis. And I guess I was just good enough. And so I took over producing the 5 a.m. hour of a three hour morning show in a top 50 market, wow. uh, which is one of those crazy things that doesn't happen to people. But then I only stayed there for a year because they just didn't feel like there was any upward momentum. The, uh, the other producers I was working with, they were both staff people. I was not because I had started on a freelance basis. They mm-hmm. decided that when they moved me into the That's producing, how they fucking do it, man. Exactly. They're like, oh, well, we don't have to give you, you know, benefits or anything if you, right. if you stay freelance. So why don't you just stay that? Why don't you just do and, that? And so because of that, I didn't have vacation days. So I would like beg for days off. I'd be like, hey, I need this day off. And they'd be like, you can't do that. It's sweeps week. And I was like, that means nothing to me in my real life. Right. But uh, so I was just like, fuck it. I need to. I, I can assuming I can swear. Yes. Um, I, like, fuck yeah, you can. I, I was like, fuck it. I need to get out of here. And I started contacting some of my friends from college. And my, my friend Brandon was like, I need a roommate. Um, the, the guy I'm currently living with is moving out. And uh, we, he actually contacted two friends. We're all going to move in together. It was going to be three people. And uh, I dropped everything. And I took the $1,500, if that, that I had at the bank. It was like, I'm moving to New York City. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was quite the experience to do that. But like I said, I, so that was only a year home. But once again, a year is 10 years when you're out of college. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so then I moved to New York and uh, it took me forever to find a job. Uh, once again, because of exactly what you described, there was nothing, especially in a creative field. Uh, it felt like, you know, I... I tried any sort of job in in the creative field. <laughs> I interviewed to be an audience PA for the Maury Povich show. <laughs> and I think that I was just too like nervous for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause they were like, yeah, you know, if there's like rowdiness, you gotta stop it. And I'm like, what what do you, what do you mean <laughs> by yeah. rowdiness? Like what are, what How are rowdy is rowdy exactly? We talking exactly. Jerry Springer rowdy, we talking right. And and then like you know that was the Maury Povich heyday. That was the you are not the father. Yeah, that's a man Maury era. Um, but I got a job at a at a big uh, a, a cable news company, and they made it very comfortable for me to stay there for a very long time. And I did, honestly. And like maybe it's because I'm not interested in being in that field anymore at all. Mm-hmm. And it's been years since I was in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any of them are good i think all cable news is bad i think it's yeah. inherently bad and and like toxic and it rots people's brains even even if you're a person that's like well not the cable news i like no it's bad no it's, it's all, bad. all bad the 24-hour news cycle is fucking terrible yeah. brain rot for everybody and this was something that like i think i only realized over the last uh you know five or six years like watching um, you know, flipping back and forth between like MSNBC and Fox uh, during like the 2016, even like, you know, like the pre like leading up like in 2015 and just like realizing through like flipping back and forth between those and like being on Twitter and looking at how people would just sort of regurgitate the talking points. It's the same stuff over and over. I mean, and I was just like, oh, this is bad. Like they're both they're just serving different sides of the same machine. It's 
my favorite thing would be, you know, we always had to have one TV tuned to some cable news, mm -hmm. whether it was competition, whether it was our own. And, you know, when I first started and I was a freelancer, you'd work these endless shifts, you know, because you'd want to make as much money as you could. So there were some days there. In fact, there was one day I worked all the way from like, 10 a.m. one morning until 3 p.m. the next day, Jeez. which is which is not good and should be illegal. Yeah. But but I signed up for three shifts in a row because I wanted to make sure it was around the holiday season. I want to make sure I got. But if you watch that junk from the moment it starts in the morning, 6 a.m. until 11 p.m. at night, you will see the breaking news animation over the same story at least 20 times. And it's like, if this news broke at 6 a.m., it is no longer breaking news at 11 p.m. It's no longer breaking news at 7 a.m. if yeah. it broke at 6 a.m. But, you know, depending on the severity of the story and how much mileage they can get out of it, how much ratings they can generate. And that's the thing, it's all, it's all ratings. It's all about how many eyes are watching, yeah. how many people, you know, are buying into this, uh, how much ad, revenue can we get by selling people things in between the commercial breaks you know nobody likes to do even when there's breaking news nobody truly likes to do the like commercialists you know they act like they do they act like oh this is what i live for because everybody wants to believe that they got into working for cable news for journalistic reasons but mm -hmm. honestly that's not the case <laughs> i've i've seen it i've seen so many people i've watched them chew them up and spit them out it's not about journalism. It's just sad. And I, I, I don't know how to impart that to people uh, without sounding, you know, slightly angry. But I do feel like I, I was robbed a portion of my I, life just yo, because I, I think needed you got, a job. I think you got plenty of reason to be angry. <laughs> you were like a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kid. You love filmmaking and you love storytelling and you have all this experience uh, uh, producing the news. And you're like, hey, journalism, great. Yeah. Um, and then you get in, you get into the cogs of this system that is, you know, you, you feel like you're doing something, but honestly, it's like the older I get, the more I see that, uh, I don't know, like, like you were describing with the, um, the the chirons and the breaking news and the yeah. the crawl across the bottom and the, the there's like constant uh kind of flashing input and just seeing how like oh this is just this is just a big flashy capitalist thing it doesn't yeah. have anything to do with news it's just they have to keep this running it's just a big machine they just right. have to keep churning things out and if you watch it for more than two hours you'll see the same thing pop up over and over and over and over and you're like there's not that much fucking shit going on apparently but right. it's not even that there are other things like you could cover everything that's going on in a 24-hour news uh, uh station but they don't they just keep hitting the same five things every day yeah over and over and over on the and, hour and then and then they'll invite guests on and those guests will come on. And you want to know why those guests are on? Because they've written a book and they want to push the book. And they think if they're charming or informative during the three minutes or four minutes that they're, you know, 
out there giving their message uh, as these guests, you know, as they're proselytizing out whatever they're saying, they're hoping that you will go buy their book and being on these shows is free advertising for them. It's every mechanism of that is about selling to people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody thinks like, oh, I need, I need to be informed. I need to know what's going on. But that none of that stuff, a lot of that stuff, you know, I would say 90% of it doesn't matter. I would have people ask me, they're like, oh, you, you know, you work in the news. Do the, do people get mail? You know, like, do, are there like talking points memos sent out every day about what you should cover or what you should say? And I was like, if there are, I'm not getting them. I'm an editor. Like I put together video packages for these people, which is not to say that that makes me any less guilty. And I do, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of editor friends in many different fields. Uh, and all of them say like, you know, you take the work where it is and like, you, you don't have to, you know, if somebody's offering you benefits and whatnot, you take it because it's not an easy industry, but like, I've worked with a lot of good editors who are still at this place. And I, every time I can, I'm just like, you should leave <laughs> there. Yeah. There's, but I mean, the thing I learned when I left was there are better jobs and there are people who are willing to pay you more. Uh, there are negatives to that. I have been paying my own health insurance out of my own pocket since, I don't know, since 2018, 2019, somewhere in there uh 2018 yeah and that's it's incredibly expensive and it's it's only getting more expensive every year uh and and like there are things that if i wasn't paying for that i would be doing and on the reverse side of that like i haven't had dental insurance in five years that's something i'd like yeah that's something that'd be it's nice. pretty great that dental insurance is just like a supplementary insurance yeah. as if you're teeth aren't part of your body right exactly they're like oh all of this is important but this right here this this is just your grill everything in your mouth which is a part of your body that you need to ingest food and fucking vision vision like you know to be able to see you to be able to see but it's okay it's not important that's not those those are like bonuses those are like a little (laughs) add-ons that you have to like pay an extra amount Um, for insane but but like but I certainly make a lot more money. I've had much more rewarding work mm-hmm. since then. You know, I worked on uh, Joe Para talks with you, the oh, hell yeah. swim show. Oh my God. That's, that was so much fun that, I mean, I haven't done a lot of TV since then, but yeah. if I could, uh, I would, you know, get a job doing that again, because I, I just had the most fucking fun time doing that and it was a very tiny small office and it's funny because after i worked on the first season there's been two seasons since then Mm -hmm. uh i've talked to marty who directed it Uh, he directed every episode and he's one of the lead editors on it and he was like yeah after the first season adult swim really wanted us to uh to go with a post house (laughs) so like i mean i i don't know if they I, it doesn't seem like they were unhappy with the work. I think they were unhappy with some of the stuff that went on. I don't know how much I'm privy to say, but right. it, in my opinion, great time, great people. Uh, but like we, you know, it was very. I wouldn't take it personal, honestly. It yeah. Was probably oh no, just no. like a higher up, like oh, well, this is the way we streamline our show's production. Yes, and we and honestly, do that's a post house. We don't want it to, be, you know, it's it was just some bullshit. 
And honestly, that's what I think it is. You know, yeah. like that it was like we have more control if we do it this way. When I worked on it, it was a little more like the word bohemian keeps popping into my head, but it wasn't. I mean, it was work. Like we we fucking work, but it was like, you know, like we had a good time doing it. And yeah. that's yeah. It's and that's the how weirdest, most unlikely little show, like especially for Adult Swim, because, you know, the the tone of Adult Swim is so like intense and crazy and shocking and edgelordy, which I like a lot of that stuff. No, um, but but like Joe Para is like so far the opposite, just like this extremely soothing, kind, you know, humanitarian or like uh, humanist kind of approach. And it, it almost it just feels like it comes out of a different era or something. Yeah. But but yet it's like very aware of like it's 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 hard to describe that. that it, it's funny. I, the um First of all, I will say Joe himself, who is in the office every day, is the nicest fucking guy in the world. So funny, so charming. Um, uh, you know, I I mean, I don't want to say anything about his character versus who he is in real life. Yeah. A lot of it's there, though. I will say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know <laughs> I've never actually met him. I know a lot of people who know him. And yeah. I, I, I happen to know that, like, it's it's a lot of it's there. He does. It's yeah. not necessarily turned up all the way with the stooped over and the shuffling the feet and right. like the right he's you know, much mannerisms. more athletic he was yeah. always like going out doing athletic things uh really funny and i i don't know but i don't i don't think i'm hurting anybody's feelings by saying this uh i went to the premiere they held the premiere at the draft house in new york city uh of the first season i actually went to the premiere of the second season too which was cool because that was it was nice to like see those guys again but the first season <laughs> um they sat me next to Joe's parents and they're the sweetest, nicest people in the world. But I think it's really funny. I was telling them about this job that I had left and, and Joe Perra was the first job I'd gotten since then. And his mother was like, you left a job with health insurance to work for my son. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I was like, great. And I also, you know, I told her, I was like, you must be so proud. And, uh, I'm probably going to fuck this up. So, so sorry, Joe, about your parents. But they were basically like, yeah, but his siblings, like a lawyer or a doctor or something. They're like, shouldn't we be proud of them, too? And I was like, OK, well, sure. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. But I just thought it was funny that I was like, I don't know. Your son's doing something really cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, um, it's all good. Like, you know, that, isn't that the thing with having multiple kids is yeah. you, you don't divide up your love. You expand your love and <laughs> then you have it just as much as you had for the first kid and it expands, it doubles and you have it for the second kid. And it's you're you're both you're so proud of both of them. Like, come on, it's fine. <laughs> but I just thought it was so funny that they were like they couldn't. They were like they're, I, the implication was that what Joe was doing wasn't real. Right. That was what I got from it. And I was just like, oh, but this is a TV show. Like, yeah, is, no, it's this is this a goal for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but uh, I it's funny. And like I said, they, they really were the first job I got after, you know, I, I quit at the beginning of the year, um, the year that I left and I was searching for work. But it, notoriously production jobs, it's really hard to get especially post-production jobs in like the beginning of the year. And it, from yeah. January until, until the end of March, it's, it's kind of a dry spell. 
I mean, things have changed now, obviously with the pandemic and the fact that people can work remotely. And honestly, uh, post-production is a job that you can do remotely. Yeah. And it's nice, uh, you know, that that world has opened up and, and more people are acknowledging that because it it's pretty soul crushing to go sit in an office for like 10 hours and stare at a computer when, when you really only have like five hours of work or something like yeah, that. Exa- um, absolutely. Like why put yourself through the fucking commute? Why right. separate? Like if you've got like a, a pet at home, yeah. why, why go through the trouble? Like, you know, you got to leave your dog in the morning or whatever. Now it just sits at your feet all day. It's happy as happy. As well, a that's, family. I mean, you know, w- one of the jobs that I was doing for a while freelancing starts at seven in the morning and it's like okay well then if i if i have to get up to commute there i get up at like 5 30 to make sure yeah. i'm out of the house by like 6 15 whereas here i can wake up at 6 30 you know take a shower get dressed plop down in front of my computer do my job do the exact same job i would be doing in an office uh regardless how i got started on this so th- i you know i quit in january still couldn't find any work by march was very nervous, even though I, you know, I, I'd had a decade's worth of editing experience. Yeah. Uh, it still felt like it was, you know, kind of a, what hard... did that feel like where you're just like, Oh man, I fucked up. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. 100%. And, uh, I'm, I'm nervous by birth. I guess <laughs> like that's my nervous by you know, nature. Ev- yeah. Nervous by nature that I, every kid in, in a family kind of gets the, you know, we have, I have a, two older sisters and my eldest sister's a bit of a fuck up. And then my middle sister's like the smart, responsible one. And I'm like the nervous, like, oh no, like I've, I was always the kid who was worried about money, mm-hmm. uh, which is a weird trait to have as a child. And I'm still like that. So, you know, three months out of work, even though it's like I just spent 10 years on this job, by the month three, I was just like, I'm never going to fucking find anything. I'm going to, you know, destitute yeah. on the street. And um, my friend Teresa was like, oh, I have a friend who's work, who's looking for an AE, an assistant editor, which is nothing I've ever done because I've been a lead editor since I started editing. And, and it's a very different job and it's a very complicated job. And so that's not me shitting on anybody who's an assistant editor. Assistant editors are very Oh, they're so fucking precise. And and mm-hmm. if you have a good AE, let me tell you, they, they are worth their weight in gold. Uh, but it was an AE job. And she's like, I'll put you in touch. I I got, you know, contacted by this, uh, I, I believe by a recruiter. And they were like, yeah, that, you know, they want to meet you. It's for this new show called Joe Paratox with you. It's on comedy. I mean, it's on Cartoon Network. And my brain, first thing I went to was, eric andre show and i was like oh shit like i like eric andre so this is yeah but i was just like what would it be like to edit that and i was like oh no (laughs) like i don't know if i could do that i mean you think like tim and eric or something and the editing on that show is insane yeah and like absolutely and 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 there's such an and i think people don't realize this there's such an art to making something look so especially when you're talking about tim and eric making something look so crude yeah like the and a lot of their stuff is purposefully cheap looking and it's it's actually very complicated to to get a lot of i mean you can approximate that stuff if you're yeah. doing it on your own but it's hard it's the hard the to amount make of it, work that goes in and like i'll say this like i love tim and eric um but i've i've seen them live 
and it's just not as funny. I can see that. Like, because the editing, the way that they put the show together, the way that it's all, so much of the, the, uh, the posts really elevates the weird, like psychedelic comedy of the show. So without that there, and it's just two guys on a stage, it's just like, oh, this is pretty good. But like, (laughs) you can see how gussied up it is in the post-production and how many filters it's run through to just like be this like insane psychedelic, like fucked up fever dream, you know, mushrooms experience that it is. That's going to lead me to another tangent, but like a year right before I moved to New York city, my friend Emily and I went and saw Michael Showalter and Michael Ian Black do mm-hmm. stand up. And the funny thing is, is like Michael Ian Black, of course does stand up, but Michael Showalter had never done stand up before. And so Michael Ian Black is, you know, is the headliner technically. So Michael Showalter opens for him and he comes out on the stage and he sits on the stool and he just read from a notepad. And I, like, I love Michael Showalter. I think he's brilliant. He's made a lot of brilliant movies since then. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is the fucking worst thing. It doesn't ever always seen. translate. It just yeah. doesn't always translate. I'm exactly. sorry. Stand up is also very, very, very hard to do. It's I very to hard. Mostly yeah. stand ups on this show. And it that shit is hard. And, oh, absolutely. And and to like cultivate that like you if you're funny in some other way, like it's just not necessarily gonna like work that way. If you're like John C. Riley, and you're super funny as Dr. Steve Brule, you can't necessarily like get up on stage and just like, yeah. you know, do a tight 10 or whatever. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way, honey. Sorry. <laughs> you know, that it's like the dopamine button for me is not like, I just want to be acknowledged for good work. <laughs> and mm. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people like that. And so I'm sure it's not relevatory to say that, but uh, you know, that's what I'm most proud of is when I'm like, I made you something and to like get that back, you know, is that, I, I is that your main dopamine button? Would you say is I, doing I good d- work? I definitely think so. I definitely. And I, I think part of it goes back to those, like, I, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I had friends that I totally thought I was friends with, but it, I just could never like impress them. <laughs> it was like a, always an uphill battle to be seen, like as yeah. equal to them. It felt like, you know, well, it's good in a way that, you know, your your uh, childhood scars led to a dopamine <laughs> lever that actually makes you a good worker. You yes. know, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's actually kind of a, a fairly productive, you know, upswing. Um, you, you made the best of a <laughs> of a of a childhood, you know, scar. Um, yeah. On that note, let's uh, let's talk about mental health um, in however many details you would like. Uh, let's talk about your just sort of uh, give us some snapshots of your of your mental health journey. It's, it's so funny. So you sent me a beautiful packet, a really mm-hmm. well researched packet, by the way, of of stuff that you met. and I was just like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't love talking about myself, sure. like getting too deep about myself because. And I think part of it is that where I'm just like, let me make you something and then you'll be proud of me. And so like, it's uh, so, you know, in terms of mental health, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm a man, so I should be in therapy as I think all men should be. <laughs> sure. Um, but I'm, I'm not. And part of that comes from 
the fact that, you know, there were fits and starts where I didn't have health insurance over the years. And mm-hmm. that's a, a big part of it. Um, I did uh, have a bit of a, um, my first year out of college. Uh, and like I said, positive experience. My first year, I, I didn't love. And I, part of it mm-hmm. is just being away from all the stuff you know. Part of it is the the sort of awkwardness of making friends. You make a lot of friends of the people that just immediately surround you. And then I, I think, at least in my experience, uh, the better friends I made sort of the following years, you know, my sophomore year, my junior year, my senior year, when you sort of expand that circle and you get to other circumstances. And, um, and so... I spent that first year thinking that I wasted a lot of time and that I, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, even though it was only the first year in my program. And so like I went home and tried to have an, a normal one, a normal summer. And I had like a, a small breakdown. Like I uh, broke some things in my parents' house and I like punched some holes in their walls and which yeah. is not me. Um, that's not who I am, but no, that is not, that is not the vibe you give off. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that, but that's who I was that summer. And finally what, my mom you, was like, what set that off? What was the, um, I think it was, a, it was, a, it was a lot of stress. It was a lot of like, I, I felt really aimless and directionless. This was I when felt, you had, this was after, sorry, this was your first, your, this was the just summer my, after your first year. Yeah. Summer after my first year in college. And, and you just went back home to live with your parents th- uh, over the summer. Over the summer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was summer break. And okay. And it truly was a break, um, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I, it was it was painful and difficult for me to s- sort of figure out who I was. And I mean, obviously, like now, as an adult too, and I haven't even mentioned this. Like, I'm a queer individual. I mm-hmm. I categorize as bisexual. Um, probably always been a little more into guys, uh, but I've had many fulfilling, rewarding relationships with women uh, that I've you know, loved and dated, uh, but, um, I'm dating a guy. I didn't, but I didn't come out until much later in life. I didn't come out until my early thirties. Um, which I think it's kind of rare for people in our generation. I think millennials, you know, the idea that like, we have it easier, we have it better, you know, like my boyfriend came out at 13, like that, that's nuts to me. Yeah. Um, Well, it's uh, just, it's accelerating. You know, you, you like the, the, like the Gen Zers, the, the fucking euphoria generation. They're like, (laughs) they're just, they're like, like non-binary from birth. Like they're just like fully fluid, whatever. My, my, my 13 year old niece, that's funny. And the number 13 keeps coming back. Like, yeah, she has non-binary friends and my sister, you know, my sister, who's a good mother, like, literally asked she's like hey like you know if you ever feel like you know if you feel like identifying as something else like let let us know like we'll be supportive and and she was like no she's like i you know i feel like a girl like i'm i'm a girl and like she's like okay but like just know that like (laughs) right (laughs) and i was like that's great i'm like i'm glad you had that conversation that's not even something i could like would would think about like being from our generation so what took you so long gavin yeah, so what fucking took me so long? I don't know. I mean, I I mean, I think obviously a lot of it. I didn't come from it. That I think this is the thing that probably makes other people think like, really, why did it take me so long? Is I didn't come from a bad family. Like we had problems. My dad liked to yell a lot. He had a temper, but like they were never racist. They were never homophobic. They were, you know, it was a like lower lower middle class family. I'm I'm talking about like. 
when people say like, oh, I saw a TV show, you know, when, when, when they see a TV show and they're like, I saw my family reflected for the first time on TV. Uh, that was Roseanne for us. Like, right. I mean, the, the, Roseanne was a show about a sarcastic mom who was married to a dad and they both did like manual labor jobs, except my mom was a nurse, but you know, she worked as a waitress for years to pay for yeah, nursing. No, school. I mean, those are, those are both working class jobs, nurses yeah, and, and waitresses. That's my, my dad worked at a brass foundry, brass foundry, making brass fittings. Yeah. Um, I had two older sisters. It was one of those things where I was like, oh shit, like that, that's my family. Like that's, yeah. I connected into that show so much, which is why when <laughs> getting to the adult age and being like, oh, Roseanne's a Nazi. Well, that's, I wasn't, that was a wasn't bummer, right? That. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, she meant so much and she really like, she represented a part of America that really was dying to be seen and, and felt on TV. And like, yeah, yeah, they, it just is really a bummer. <laughs> it was, it was really shocking when that it was like, oh no. Um, but you know, so, so like I had a support system there. It wasn't, it was never like if I had come out earlier, uh, it would have. Right. There was no it, familial anxiety it, like yeah. oh, my fa my family's going to disown me or anything. Right. And, and never, you know. But I mean, there there's a lot of other pressures. I, you know, I mentioned I really awful um, junior high experience. I mean, a lot of the junior high experience was like I'm I am overweight. And I'm slightly effeminate, like, and so, uh, like, I was very much a target, and it was yeah. a lot of homophobia and a lot of, and so, like, I, I probably internalized so much more of that than I, I ever realized, and so a lot of my life was like, oh, like, I'm never, you know, I, I don't, I remember telling, you know, my first boyfriend I had when I was in my early twenties. I, w I was like, I don't know if I'm ever really going to come out and like, which is a shitty thing to tell somebody you're in a relationship with because you're like, cool, you're always going to be my secret. Right. <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, so and, and I think a lot of it was that it was a lot of internalized homophobia and a lot of internalized like a lot of those external things that I had taken into myself. I'm sure a lot of that led to uh, this incident that I had post my freshman year in college, but uh, you know, my mom was like, you need to talk to someone. And I went for a couple weeks over the summer, um, spoke with a professional. He was great, you know, and he was basically like, I don't think there's that much wrong with you, uh, though. He was right. also a man. So who knows? Right. <laughs> but uh, but he was like, he's like, I just think you're really stressed and you put a lot of that stress on yourself. And it sounds like a lot of it has like this is a manifestation of this and like you just gotta find a way to relax and uh which is easier said than done but i i think post that i've i've been i've allowed myself as i've gotten older to like chill a bit you know not about everything certainly sure. and dan dan would tell you that i'm <laughs> a little high strung but i think for the most part yeah for me you know i i take in a lot of the stress of the world around me and i internalize it and then it comes out yeah. but you know never quite like the, did that one summer 
I, I mean, yeah. What would you have to be stressed about as a uh, like early twenties closeted uh, <laughs> person who's taking on the weight of the world, you know, yeah. to himself and and internalizing literally everything and not sharing that with anybody and not relaxing. Yeah, like, uh, and I'm very good at internalizing. I'm so good at internalizing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some people like to compartmentalize. I don't want to do that. I just want to take it all in and let it clutter. Just let it pile up inside. And, you got a hoarder you know. house inside your soul. <laughs> exactly. That's me. Um, what have you learned to do to, um, what have you learned to do to decompress and de-stress? Um, a lot of that is I, you know, and part of it all, all goes back to work ethic. I, you know, I, I find creative ways to express myself. A lot of it has having to do with editing, but sometimes it has to do with writing. Um, not as much as I'd like it to be. I will, I will find, uh, I love to, I love, I love starting to write something and I love finishing writing something. It's the middle portion. Yeah, the middle that I really, is the slog. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really hate that. But, uh, you know, and I, I've been able to over the especially last couple of years, uh, a good friend of mine, Dan Mecca has been producing audio dramas. He started doing it during the pandemic. Um, and, it's called Fathom. You can look it up. It's a, it's a done in podcast form, but they're, they're mm -hmm. short stories. And he actually was kind enough to produce a couple things that I wrote. Um, and I, I say that I also, and I don't know if it comes to, I also, I'm very good at self-deprecating, but uh, I, I'm proud of those pieces. And so yeah. I guess I shouldn't say like he was kind enough, like he enjoyed those pieces and thought they were worthy of putting you them had on. enough pity on you to let you do your little yeah. show. <laughs> exactly. That's, I mean, so you get off his dick and just like, <laughs> finally just like let him have some peace. He's just finally fucking just fine. We'll do your yeah. stupid thing. Yeah. So uh, cool. So you've met my internal monologue. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's, you know, sometimes I, I think that way. And then like other times I got to be like, Hey, you know, cool it with that. Like you're fine. You're talented enough. Like, it, it's not he's not doing it out of pity like i mean we're burying the lead you got your own podcast yes oh yeah i do yeah i have a little thing like that i have been well that's i guess that's the you know the main thing is and and all that is editing as well too because i spent a lot of time editing that yeah. but uh i, I do co-host a podcast that's called the mixed reviews it's a film podcast um we're each we're bi-weekly uh but each week we take a film subject such as an actor director or mini genre and we do an entire history and then we kind of do, you know, our best amateur critic of like the thing we like the best and the thing we like the least about it. Mm -hmm. um, that came about because I'd been doing, uh, I was, <laughs> I was an early adopter of podcasting. Uh, if I don't mind patting myself on the back. Mm -hmm. So I started doing a podcast with uh, two guys that I knew from the internet who are practically strangers called KGB cast uh, back in 2011. And that lasted about three years. Uh, and that I'm not going to talk about why it broke up. But let me tell you, the story, I'll tell you off air sometime, is Oh, I, 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 I heard. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> and, and like, literally doesn't involve me. So yeah, in, we don't, we but, don't have to go into it. But I would prefer it keep not involving me. Sure. You know, the uh, crazy thing, and I, I love a good mystery but part of me feels a little bit like I'm being gaslit. The the main reason that broke up the one of the guys, um, I think he's dead now. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And I've been trying to figure it out for like a year now, how, like what happened? 
so much so that I even contacted somebody who knew him because I Googled him and found his obituary and I contacted somebody who knew him. And I was like, holy shit. Well, you did, found his obituary. He... He's probably dead then. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, I was, but I was like, but no picture. So now okay. I'm like, you didn't I'm see a body. So yeah, I need, I need to fucking see a you body. You really need closure I, on this. I need to snort some ashes or else I'm never going to know. Sure. Uh, I contacted somebody, like a mutual person who knew both of us. And I was like, hey, hey, is he dead? And she's like, I don't know. I haven't heard from him in years. And I was like, that's funny because you signed the registry on his obituary site. Right. And they were and they were literally like, I have no recollection of doing that. And I'm like, fucking fucking gaslit here. I'm being gaslit. Amazing. That's um. Sick. But so that lasted three years and that got me a job working for the Tribeca Film Institute, mm-hmm. producing and editing their podcast. And that Wait, you got a the... podcast? You got a job through a podcast? I certainly did. What the fuck? I mean, I also had I had uh, the technical skills because I'd been professionally editing. Sure. And the person who was hosting that podcast was actually my boss at my the other job that I got when I first moved to New York City, which I was um, uh, what they call a... Uh, assistant but but most people call intern mm-hmm. i was an unpaid intern for filmmaker magazine and i was an unpaid intern for nine months so they they called they referred to me as the the hard worker because most interns only lasted three months because when you're not getting paid you need to move on and i didn't um, but uh because i enjoyed it like i said i like writing i like you know that aspect of it i like the journalism aspect of it so i worked on that magazine for nine months and and the host of the Tribeca Film Institute podcast was a former uh, editor of Filmmaker Magazine. So he's somebody who knew I was a hard worker and knew I could be trusted. Um, that lasted a couple of years uh, until they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. Um, but uh, Midtown Comics, a friend of mine that worked there, hired me to co-host and edit their show. That lasted for three years until they decided they didn't need a podcast anymore. And right as that ended, my friend Louie, who was moving here from San Francisco, was like, hey, uh, your podcast's coming to an end. I'd like to start a podcast. You have the technical know-how. I love movies. You love movies. Let's do a movie podcast. And right. so we started that up. And that was five, almost five years ago at this point, which is, yeah, five, we've done five-year review episodes. So yeah, five years ago. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's bi-weekly, so there's not that many episodes. There's only about 105 episodes so far, um, but that could be so much more if we did, you know. But it's it's a lot of work. Like like I said, I love work. I love, you know, studying and learning. And so that show is so much research. It's like two weeks of really in-depth research, and then you vomit it all out in front of a microphone, edit it, and then literally forget everything you learned so you can start learning new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what's I, funny is like some of my favorite podcasts are very research heavy and but they're like hundreds of episodes in at this point. Yeah. And I always wonder like do they even remember everything that they talked <laughs> about cuz I don't and I've listened to every single episode. I've listened to every episode of The Dollop and you couldn't like I couldn't tell you like what some of the episodes are really about like I know like kind of broad strokes but it's just like <laughs> like how do you even keep that much information in your head I that actually happened to me because so we did an Emma Thompson episode 
And then like a year later, um, Dan and I were watching this movie called Dougal, which is this like animated thing from the 70s. And and he's like reading off these facts and he's like, did you know Emma Thompson's father like did the American translation for this because it was French? And I was like, no, I totally didn't. I was like, I should. We did an Emma Thompson episode. Literally the first 10 minutes of that episode are about that because she <laughs> like, so it's like, yeah, I did know, but I've had to push that information out of my brain to absorb new stuff. So we're in a pandemic and yes. you're immunocompromised. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, so I was born with a genetic disorder called cyclic neutropenia. It affects... Uh, I don't know the exact stat, but it's a crazy number of people, a crazy small number of people. It's um, maybe like one in 1,000. Um, even smaller number of people uh, grow. I mean, even smaller number of people don't grow out of it. Usually around puberty, you grow out of it. I'm one of the lucky ones who didn't, which is super fun. Um, cyclic neutropenia is, uh, it affects the white blood cells. Essentially one week out of every month, my white blood cell count drops to a a really low level and I can catch infectious diseases uh, quicker than other people. Uh, usually in a, in, in the world that we've been living in post pre 2020 um, these were colds and flus and, you know, low grade stuff. Uh, but yeah, my body just doesn't fight them off, which is a cool, fun thing. And, uh, so this has been a very eye-opening experience for me because I, one of those people and like, please don't think I'm an asshole because I get sick so much. Um, I'm one of those people that would go to work sick. I, you know, I would, I would do my best not to get anybody else sick, but I would, you know. I'm one of those people that for 12 right, months but what out are you year, supposed to do if you're freelance or somewhere yeah. like you can't take sick days. Exactly. And so I, you know, if I had a cold, if I was getting a cold once a month, especially during the winter months, you know, like there's no, like dude, six months of the year. I mean, I'm, again, that's capitalism. That's like, that's, yeah. that's, I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard like, you get like exemplary employee status for, you know, like, Oh, he wasn't feeling good. And he came into work anyway. What a trooper, what a team player. Yeah. And it's just like, no, you should have stayed home. Cause now you should have stayed other home. Like what the fuck? Yeah. And uh, yeah. So like uh, this has been, and, and I was one of the people that when all of this started, I was kind of like, I don't understand the big deal. And that's because like, I get sick all the time. And then when it's like, oh, no, it's killing swaths of people. I was like, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> so, yeah. What yeah, did that feel been, like that? That first, like, you know, a couple it, of months of the pandemic. It was scary. And like, I uh, definitely like took it serious in terms of the like, weren't leaving our house. Um, we were getting our groceries delivered to us. You know, any anything to like yeah. keep from, uh, you know, experiencing the outside world uh, gained a ton of weight that was fun um but uh yeah so it was it was scary it was scary and like i didn't i don't i'm genuinely kind of an optimistic person so i don't think i ever like really thought to myself like i'm gonna go outside i'm gonna get this thing and i'm gonna die but i did spend a lot of time being like i don't know what would happen if i got it and i've been very lucky and now I'm saying this, of course, I'm going to end up with it, but I I'm triple vaxxed at this point, but sure. But how like, did, how did the I, vaccine affect you? Did it, did it oh, like really knock awful. you on your ass? Yeah. 
Yeah, the fir- the first one, nothing. Like literally, yeah. Not- the first I one, was- my arm kind of hurt, but yeah. Second one, fever on the couch for like an entire day. Literally, the booster, two days, a full weekend. Wow. I was like, is this gonna happen every time? Like, <laughs> am I? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I know. It's... Which is, you know, once again, small price to pay. Sure. I'm not not super complaining used to being sick used to not doing anything about it yeah uh, or not not necessarily not doing anything about it but sort of like being that exactly what you were saying being that sort of like fighting through it but not a brave face but that's you know just how it, i think part of that comes from when i was a kid i was in the hospital a lot because of this yeah i have a lot of memories of being in the hospital mm-hmm. i don't like those <laughs> so like i you know so when you were seeing the way the world and our leaders were responding to the pandemic and the way so many of them, like so many people in higher up positions and so many just like, you know, just regular folks were being kind of flippant about it. And just like, it's basically like the flu. They still are, you know, how did that, I mean, talk about that how does how what does that feel like for you oh it's awful i mean it's awful because it, it you know it makes you suddenly feel like you know you're somehow not contributing to reality to the world where it's just like you know it's like i i i don't want to be hyperbolic but it's it's literally having somebody tell you you're expendable over yeah. something you can't control like i just drew a terrible card in the lottery of life <laughs> and yeah. and that's uh that's a mixed metaphor there sure. but uh <laughs> i get you but yeah so it's one of those things where it's 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 unfortunate because it, it does make you feel like well is anything i do matter because it just seems like you know the world survival of the fittest the world's gonna go on without me regardless if i'm here or not yeah and yeah like it, it is really frustrating i know there's been literally right before i logged on to this there's been a fact checker thing about the that statement the woman from the cdc said they're like people are taking this out of context where she was like you know in most cases you know the people that are dying right now have four plus comorbidities and it's like i don't know no one should be dying if they don't have to. <laughs> like, yeah. It's the way that our society can kind of dismiss people's lives uh, in the name of just keeping the whole system running is yeah. pretty sickening. And I've more or less, I mean, I kind of already knew it going in, uh, but like this is just really held my eyelids open and just like really forced me to look at it uh for a long time and i think that's what it's sort of done to a lot of people um and you know again in this latest you know this latest wave that we're in now with the omicron shit like yeah uh where a lot of you know most people at this point who i talk to like most people i know are vaccinated they probably don't have anything to worry about. And yet there is still this kind of flippant dismissive attitude about like when I say something to the effect of like, it's probably inevitable that I get Omicron at some point 
because I go out in the world and because I yeah. have a job and like I can't work from home, like I, I have a service industry job. I think that that has a different implication than our elected leaders just saying like, look, everybody's going to get it and some people are going right. to die. You know, like that's and the difference that I really want to like make clear when like regular folks who don't have any power are saying like, yeah, we're probably all just going to get it. That's a very different thing. That's a very different statement than our president and our elected officials saying, yeah, everybody's just going to get it. Fuck it. Right. Well, and I, th I think it's also another important point to make, too, is that, you know, everybody's doing what they can. And there's only so much you can do personal responsibility wise versus like there are people in positions of power who could be doing more and are actively choosing not to. Yeah. And that so that's really frustrating because, you know, you're left uh, you're left wondering, like, you know, well, then if they're if they're not willing to help me out to stick up for me like what good is all the shit that i'm doing and like that's not me saying that like everybody should get rid of their masks or anything but like you should do the the personal responsibility the level you can but if you then get it that's not you know you shouldn't feel ashamed about it yeah it's I like was, out of I, your hands at this point yeah like, i was i was literally just talking to a friend who i didn't know there i was like oh how are you doing and they're like uh you know like finishing up this last bit of COVID. And I was like, oh, holy shit. And they're like, yeah, it's been mild and everything. And they're, they're like, and I was being really safe. And then I got it. And I was like, and they're like, and I've been afraid to tell people because I, they, they're like, I've been isolating since, you know? Right. And so when people ask me how I'm doing, I've been afraid to tell them because I don't want them to think I'm being irresponsible. And I was like, fuck them. You know, like, yeah. like you, you're doing the best you can to be personally responsible. I was like, but th there's people in power who are doing nothing for you. Yeah. And they're, they're the ones who are at fault. No, getting COVID you. is not a moral failure. We need no, to underline absolutely. that. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you kind of emotionally handle it when it sort of, uh, made us, you know, the big second wave that we're kind of in now. Well, this, I mean, I, I, and I'll be honest, like I, I do go out now, but not in like a, like I'm not traveling anywhere really. I, sure. I try and go for like a daily walk just to like keep some movement up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in you my have life. to do so, like you can't yeah. sit in a fucking New York apartment all day. Which, which I did for like pretty much the first year, and so this time I'm like can't do that. I am masked up when I go, and I'm sure this sounds crazy, or crazy is not the word I'm looking for, and I, I hate using that because I don't want people to think I'm being derogatory. It's okay. Look, this um, is this is a podcast <laughs> for crazy people. It's our word. We're reclaiming it. It's okay. Excellent. But but it, it's one of those things where, like, I, I wear a mask when I go out for my walks. If I'm going into a store, I throw on a second mask. I know there's some people who think, hey, that doesn't do a lot. As an as an immunocompromised person, I'm gonna do as much as I can to sure. personally protect myself. I, I mean, if I get some weird stares, I don't care, and I don't, and that's the thing. And I think other people are like, I, you know, no, no one is watching you, as yeah. as always. Oh, no, we live in New York City. Nobody cares. Right. Like, Nobody cares. Um, but uh, but that's. I mean, that's sort of the way I have to play it. But yeah, yeah for the most part. Yeah, I other than that, I don't leave my apartment anymore. And like that's a shitty thing because I live in one of the most exciting places on earth. Yeah. I've had tickets to stuff, I've had to cancel, you know. And it, and it like do I feel a little like ugh when I like look at Instagram and I see people are still going to Broadway shows? I'm like 
you're really going to do that, but I'm also not going to be judgmental about it because that's not my play. Like if you feel comfortable doing it, then you should, you should live the life that you feel comfortable doing at yeah. this time. But as long as you're being safe, it's really hard to know even like what to do yeah. anymore. Cause it Cause just I feels d- like we've just been left high and dry. And yeah. it just feels like we've, it's like the wild West now, you know, yeah. like it, tr- it truly is. Even, and- even before the Omicron surge, like, uh, when I was, you know, we were kind of going back out in the world and like, I would go to like, you know, I would go to the gym or I'd go to a bar, I'd go to a comedy show and like, yeah, you wouldn't have a mask on, but they'd check your vaccine at the door. Like, I, I would be like, I guess this is okay, but like still feels kind of like, I don't know. And like part of me almost missed when there was like hard and fast rules about like, you can't dine inside. You have to wear a mask if right. you're inside. And it's just like, that all kind of made sense. But then like, it all just kind of like, evaporated in this like big willy nilly pile of nothing. And now it gets anybody's guess. Like people, I, I, every day I know somebody else who's gotten COVID and yet like you still like every restaurant, every gym is still like packed to the gills and people are still going. So it's just like, okay, fine. Fuck it. Like, I guess we're just (laughs) fuck. No, (laughs) we're just doing this. It's literally the same, same thing in the, the part of Brooklyn I live in. And like, listen, I'm not saying I want restaurants to close. I don't want restaurants to fail or anything, but it is, I'm, I'm just like, wow, like all those people in that restaurant as I'm walking by, I'm just like, why? Like, why can't you <laughs> eat at home? Like, but also once again, I, I have friends who are incredibly judgmental and like are willing to like shame people for, and I, I can't be like that either. I can't do that know? anymore. I can't fucking yeah. COVID shame people. Like it's so so far out of our hands as far as uh uh personal responsibility at this point that like as long as you're not just like going out as a covid positive person and just like coughing in people's faces then like though the cdc does say that you can do that after about a half an hour you can do that as long as you're is you know as long as you're at your workplace did you see the fucking thing that they were saying today about like uh covid has a it's like 50% less transmissible after 10 minutes in office air. They're like trying to like squeeze in some sort of thing to like make it sound like I, offices have some sort of fucking buffer against a virus. Get the fuck out of here. Like, okay, well, put that air in our bars then. I want to go to a bar. Well, you know that that's true because those are the places that we make money. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, I had not heard that. And that's wild. The it's worst insane. kind of wild. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm also like um, really poorly regurgitating a, a headline that I read on Twitter. So you know, I mean, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. Do your own re- oh, do yeah, your but- do your own research, which is a very popular thing that people are <laughs> doing you- these days. Did you read the article before you retweeted it? No, I didn't. I didn't engage with the article. I was just like, I don't well, even know how to read. <laughs> that's the <laughs> Gavin. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was great. Uh, thank you. Um, so let's run through plugs. Um, oh yes. Where can people um, find as, you and your work? I mentioned my podcast earlier. You can always find us on Twitter at, at the mixed reviews. You can download us on any major podcast app, anywhere that you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, uh, audible, Amazon, every evil corporation carries our show. Sure. And, uh, like I said, that's bi-weekly. So two shows a month. Um, if you want to read my very silly tweets that uh, don't really amount to much, you can always find me on Twitter at, at friendlessmean, which is how I'm going to die someday. 
and yeah that's about it i mean you can always find uh that's pretty much all you need to to like find me if you want to see my work go to my twitter i usually have something pinned to the top of it so hell yeah all right yeah follow him he is actually very funny on twitter i know he he, he likes to sell himself short but he's he's really funny on twitter and check out <laughs> i his, try really hard <laughs> thank you so much gavin thank you brad Thank you once again, Gavin, for being on the show. And thank all of you for listening. You can follow me at SelfWorst on Instagram. You can follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. That's more of a personal account, but you're welcome to follow me. You can follow me, sure. We're friends. I don't have good boundaries. If you listen to this show, you're my friend, and I'd probably invite you over. That's how, that's how little boundaries I have. I'd come over and let you give me COVID. Anyway, you can email the show at selfworst at gmail.com. Uh, send me an email, drop me a line, whatever. And, uh, oh, patreon.com slash selfworst. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing bonus content. I just, I want more people to subscribe to the Patreon. Need more money. And uh, as soon as I see that happening, the more people join, the more bonus content you're going to get until it's really too much. I just dropped my pen. I don't know if you could hear that, but I'm coming clean about it. All right. Uh, Is that it? Patreon. Like and subscribe. Rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. You can do that now. Did you know that? It's true. Give us some reviews. Tell a friend. Post it on your stories. Do what you can to spread the word. We live in the communication age. Communicate. Send the send the message. We're trying to start a cult here. I need all of you to be in on it. All right. Music is by Shay Bartell. Thank you, Shay. I love you all. We're getting through the winter. We're going to do it. It's going to be fine. I guess. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.